Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. We're going to be in the book of John. The book of John, which is in the New Testament. Those of you that might be new to the Bible, there's the Old Testament, which is before Jesus came. Then there's the New Testament. And it starts with four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which basically tell the story of Jesus. So we'll be in the fourth book of the New Testament, part of the story of Jesus, chapter 2. And for an opening thought, I have a question. Uh, It'll come up on the screen. Have you ever experienced a disappointing, have you ever had a disappointing experience at church? I'm a little afraid to ask that because you might be thinking, yeah, dude, right now, what are you talking about? Right? Have you ever had a disappointing experience at church? My guess is if you've been around church for very long, you probably have had some. What I want to emphasize, though, is maybe have you ever had like a seriously disappointing experience? Not like, why don't they have Starbucks coffee? Well, for some of you, like, what's more serious than that? No, do you know what I mean? Not just a, a preference thing, like I wish the music was a little louder, or I wish it was a little softer. You know, there's some things that are preference, but has there been a moment or have you observed something where something in your heart kind of rose up and you just knew what's going on right now or what has gone on here is just wrong, that kind of a experience. So um, I was trying to think in my life when I've had that sense. Remember uh, when I had, I think I had just become a Christian. I was really early in my walk with God, so I didn't know a lot about God and, and stuff, but I was at a wedding rehearsal, and the officiating priest was observably drunk. Like, dude, you're drunk. You know, like, and everybody knew it. And although I didn't know a ton about God, I knew in that moment, like, this is wrong. And I knew it also, especially when I watched the bride-to-be just begin to cry because her wedding rehearsal was such a mess. Does that make sense? Like you just know this is not what's supposed to be happening here. Maybe you have a memory yourself or a friend who maybe came to the church or to a place of ministry and they were seeking mercy and instead they got an abundance of judgment. And you think that's, I don't think that's what Jesus, you know, in fact, you're sure Jesus would respond somewhat differently. Are we connecting like that, those kind of moments? I had one a couple years ago. It was again at a wedding. I wasn't officiating the wedding. I was, particip- I was just there to observe. It was a family member getting married. By the way, it was the most beautiful wedding venue I've been in. It, this is the venue. This is not the wedding, but it was in that same spot. It was in Colorado. Did you know that there are places in the United States that look different than Indiana? <laughs> I'm totally serious. This is a real place. This is not just a Disney movie. Like, this place really exists. I was, okay, anyway. So, (laughs) it was, (coughs) sorry, I got too excited about the place. This 
It was happening here, and I think the pastor was trying to connect the people with the beauty of the area. And he started the service. Now, these, this is not word for word, but I tried my best to be true to what I remember him saying as he started this wedding. And it was something like this. He said, I don't know what you believe about God, and it doesn't really matter what we believe about God or even if you believe in God. We are in a place that is filled with God's presence. God is in the rocks. He's here with us in the rays of the sun. God could be the cool breeze that blows through this gathering. Or your God, if your God is nature, or even if your God is one of these mountains, it is all okay because God is in all and is all. Let us pray. And I almost said, let's not pray. Let's clarify the stupid things. You, I didn't say it, but I was like this close to interrupting a wedding and saying, can we wait here a minute? What the heck was that? If you make this mountain your God, it's all okay. That's stupidville council, pastor guy. Sorry. I'm still a little cranked up about this. And you know why I was cranked up about it? It wasn't because I, you know, had a bone to pick and thought, well, if I were there, I would do it so much better. It was because I had family members sitting in that place that I have prayed for multiple times that God would open their eyes to, to the gospel and who God is because I want them to be close to God. And it was just frustrating. Like, this is so wrong. You're doing and saying the wrong thing. Not helpful. I'm still cranked up. I'm sorry. I call. This wasn't helpful. The point, the point I'm trying to get to here, I think we can probably agree. But what happens in church and in uh, in the church, Big C Church, in an atmosphere of ministry. It really matters. Does that make sense? It really does matter. If we do it well, that's good, and it matters, and it helps people, and it, and it honors God. If we do it poorly, it's bad. A few Bible verses. 2 Corinthians 5.20. It's talking about followers of Jesus. It says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. You could probably insert in there Christ's representatives. As though God were making his appeal through us. So what we do, how we act, how we join together to do ministry, how we do ministry by ourselves, it really does matter. Matthew 16, 18. This is after one of the disciples had made the observation, the declaration that Jesus was indeed the Savior of the world. And then... Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. And then it says, and the gates of Hades, or hell, will not 
overcome it. So if the church does well, we're an instrument of resisting the evil stuff that, that the devil and evil is trying to bring to the world. If we're doing well, we resist it. It can't overcome it. But if we do it poorly, that implies we just open the door to more evil, horrible things happening. It matters. The church matters. We matter. How we approach ministry matters. In the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3, the Holy Spirit is addressing specific churches. Um, and in almost every, it addresses seven churches. It goes something like this. You know, it'll say, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right, or the church in Pergamum, or these, these cities. And in, in almost every one, it begins with encouragement. It says things like, you're doing this really well. Keep doing it. And in most of them as well, it will say, you got to work on this. Why? Because it matters. And if we do it well, bigger impact, better representation of God, all that stuff. Okay? So, Hold that thought. We're in this series called Jesus, Friend of Sinners. Uh, our goals, primary goals, are to remind ourselves how much God wants all people to come to know Jesus Christ and be forgiven for their sin and have a close relationship with their Creator. The other thing we're exploring is how can we help that happen. And so today we're going to learn from this story in John 2 where... Where Jesus arguably gets pretty extremely disappointed in this moment where he was at church. It's not church, it's at the temple, but it, it applies. In my Bible, this paragraph is described as, um, what does it say? Jesus clears the temple courts. Uh, if you need background, basically Jesus is doing ministry stuff. He's teaching and healing and helping people, uh, talking about the Father. And this is one given day, John 2.13. Try to picture it. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts... He found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. And he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Last verse. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The title of the talk is Course Correction at Church. And I basically want to explore what was Jesus so upset about? Of course, the application is <laughs> we, we, we shouldn't do stuff that makes him this mad. How about that? Right? We should probably do better at some of the things we're going to talk about. So let me pray, and then I'll give you some ideas. Uh, 
It's, a, it's kind of amazing to me, Lord, that you give so much power and authority and possible impact to us. But today, my hope is that we'll take it seriously and that you will encourage us, challenge us, strengthen us to do well as representatives of you. So talk to us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Two ideas from the text why Jesus got so upset. The first one is Jesus was really disappointed in an overemphasis on money. An overemphasis on money. Uh, kind of easy to see this. In verses 14 and 15, there's a lot of talk about money, stuff. It's not just cash, but material possessions. It talks about selling animals and exchanging money, and he scatters the coins. I think his frustration is summed up in verse 16, where he says, To those who sold doves, he said, by the way, and I just noticed the exclamation points. So there probably was some volume here. Get these out of here. I don't know if he said it like that. Get these out of here, exclamation point. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And that word market, just to look at it a little more deeply, the original language, it means, uh, it's, it looks like that in the Greek. It's emporion or something like that. And it is described, it's a place of traffic. It's probably busy, lots of, lots and lots of people and stuff. And it's described as a market house. And so when I was picturing that, I pictured like an outdoor market, perhaps even in a, if you've traveled outside of the United States, I consider third world country even. If you've been to a place where tons of people are there and they're offering their goods, can you kind of imagine anybody been a place like that or a farmer's market where there's bunches of people? And, and I thought of that and I, I thought, what's on the minds of people in a market house or a market place? And can I submit to you two ideas? Now, the first one is two groups of people. One group is probably being mostly mentally consumed with making money. Like, why am I setting up this booth? Why am I bringing money? Right? I'm here to make money. And then the other group is primarily there. Why? I'm here to get a deal. That's why you would enter a place like that. Right? So, as I thought about can, does that connect? Does that make sense? Like, that's probably what's going on in the minds of people in that kind of a setting. And then I had this idea, which is basically those two things are almost never on the heart of God. Does that make sense? Like, I can't imagine a conversation with God. Let's just pretend, you know, you got, we're just pretending. But, you know, you had a conversation with God in the morning. It's like the beginning of a day, and you said, guys, Lord, what's on the agenda? I just can't imagine the Lord of the universe saying, well, the one thing I want to do is make sure I make some money. It's, it's not. Or I also can't imagine him thinking, the best thing, the one thing I want to do today is I, I want to make sure I get a really good deal. N no. I thought of the good deal side of it. God is not overly concerned what is it? What is it? God is not stingy guy, worried about the cost or the price of 
things. The best example of that is probably the gospel, where God saw the need of humanity and how in the world are we going to pay for all the sins of you and I and the rest of the world. And he realized, I can pay for that with my own son. And he said, yeah, let's do it. He didn't say, no, 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 that costs too much. He said, no, we'll do that. And even Jesus Christ himself, would you go die for the sins of the world? What's it going to cost you? Well, everything. You're going to have to go be in, be in a human body. You're going to have to hang out with COVID people. or Right? You, you know, like, there's, did you know there's no COVID in heaven? Did you know that? There's all, oh, somebody's like, amen, best sermon ever. This is the best. This, there's not all this mess, junk that we have here. Jesus said, no, I'll go get involved in that. And then I'll let those people that I'm actually, I love so much, I'm actually going to go to help them. And they're actually going to turn around and they're going to hurt me. The price of all that? And God says, yeah, that's a heavy price. But I'll pay it. So if we... So that God's not into this making money or getting a deal. If we get back now to the temple problem, here's the idea. You can fill this in on your handout if you'd like. What God cares little about had become what the temple was all about. What God cares little about had become what the temple was all about. And that's bad. And that's super disappointing to Jesus. Before we go on, we probably better admit that it's easy to do so that we're not too critical of these stupid temple people that are doing all these things wrong. How It is so easy for me. I'll include you in that. So easy for us to, to have an overemphasis on money and stuff. Is it not? Isn't it easy to talk so much about, well, I don't know, how's the... How's the market doing and how's business and I hope I get a raise and how many conversations have you personally had this week about gas prices? Right? It's 38, you know, it's the common thing. It's so easy to do. But there are better things that we should be focusing on. Here's some of God's counsel through the Bible regarding too much focus on money. First, First Timothy 6.10 says, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. By the way, it doesn't say money is evil, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. In Matthew 6.19, it challenges, teach, commands us, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The next verse is a challenge. Jesus said in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you cannot serve both God and money. You know, I think a lot of us think we're kind of an exception to that. But it says you cannot, the you includes us. You cannot serve. It doesn't say you cannot have. But it says you cannot serve. And this is my experience. If we're serious about following God, every so often there will be a, a, a con 
conflict, conflict of interest thing. You'll have to decide. This is God's will, but it may cost you. And you can't serve both. You have to decide when it comes to a conflict, you, I'm going to serve God and not become subservient to the money thing. Does that make One of the more uh, powerful verses I thought of this last week was in Luke 9. This is where Jesus is sending out some disciples to change the world. He's going to say, go heal the sick, raise the dead, pray for people, have compassion, teach the truth. That's the plan. Go, go and change the world, you guys. Have a huge ripple effect. And as he says that, as he gives them the assignment, he also says this. At the end, he says, he told them, this is part of their instructions. Take, this is crazy, take nothing for the journey. I'd be going, excuse me, nothing? And he says, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. And so I take from that, He's sending the disciples out to change the world. Apparently, apparently, money and stuff is not the most important thing at all to changing the world and bringing the kingdom of God to our friends and neighbors. Apparently, there are more potent things that change the world. Like love, or truth, or prayer, or care, or compassion, or spiritual power. And if we think about this, doesn't this make sense? Most of our lives are changed mostly, right, by people who what? Cared. Took time. Told us the truth. Prayed for, right? That, that really is the stuff that changes the world. But it's so easy to fall into, oh, no, no, what we all need is more money. And that is not, that's, that's not the, that's not the life-changing stuff. As I was talking about this to a friend of mine, they pointed me to Matthew chapter 21. It's basically the same story in a, uh, another person's perspective. Matthew's writing about the same incidents. And it describes, it says about Jesus, he overturned the tables of the money changers. It's the same stuff. And the benches of those selling doves. And he, he records Jesus as saying, my house will be called the house of prayer, but you're making it a den of, of robbers. So that's the moment of clean, clearing the temple. But they pointed to verse 14, right after the, t the temple gets cleared. It says, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. It's, then it says, the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he, had, he did. And the children were shouting in the temple. There's this amazing ministry moment. Could it be that this amazing ministry moment was connected to the fact that just prior to it, he got rid of the money and the focus on stuff? It said, so this will just be on the screen. Clearing the temple was about making room for the truly wonderful things. That's good. So two practical challenges as we wrap up this point. First of all, to the church, to the Vineyard Church, 
my church family, our church family, I would say let's keep a, let's keep a healthy focus. I think we can put that on the screen. Let's keep a healthy focus. I'm so grateful that for the most part here at the church, we pray for the offering and we thank you for being generous. But let's not start, you know, okay, you know, you know the feeling. The other one is as individuals, let's insert a different conversation. A different conversation. This week, how about we talk about something more important than money and stuff? So that was Jesus was disappointed in an overemphasis on money. We got just a couple minutes to speed talk about one more point. Are you ready? Somebody say speed talk. Okay, let's, let's give it a shot. Second thing, Jesus was really disappointed in the lack of spiritual zeal. The lack of spiritual zeal. I get this from the idea that basically Jesus inserted into the temple or into church spiritual zeal. The Bible verse says when the disciples were watching all this, they're reminded that it is written. In other words, the Bible says, zeal for your house will consume me. By the way, this would have been a memorable moment in church. I chuckled Friday when I was thinking about what would it be like to be a disciple and you're headed to the temple. You've probably been there before with Jesus. You go in and, and one disciple says, what you doing, Jesus? And he says, making a whip. What, what for? Oh, you'll see. And then, yeehaw, right? I don't know what kind of noises you make in the temple to get rid of the sheep and this, right? But he's like doing all that stuff. And get out, beep, out what, that's a bad, what, do you, what noises do you make you get rid of to move animals? Like, I don't know, he's like, get out of here. And then, you know, and then in the midst of that, then he looks here and there's like a, a guy with really neat stacks of coins like on a table and he just goes like, Boom! Busted up. The coins go flying. It would have been memorable. By the way, these disciples had probably been to temple hundreds of times in their life. If you lived in Jerusalem, you would go there daily to the temple. If you were outside, you'd at least go three times a year. So this was a normal place for them to do spiritual things. But I'll bet after church, they, I'll bet they, I'm getting pumped about it. I bet they're walking out. And thinking, man, that was some kind of church. And if, you know, Aunt, Aunt Beth said at the end, well, how was church today, boys? You so missed it. You should have been. Did you see it online? Because you should have watched. The camera was because he was busting up everything. It would have been a big deal. <laughs> Here's where we're going to land with this point. Jesus was so passionate about God that he got emotionally and physically involved. He was so passionate about God. He was so in love with his father. And in love with the, the, the ministry of the church. That he got emotionally and physically involved. And if we can leave that up on the screen. Can I tell you, as we talk about influencing others and representing God. That right there matters. That really matters. If we love him so much that if he captures our heart, which is what he, he deserves 
enough connection from us that we would care enough that it gets us in our inner being. The word here where the disciples quote the Bible that says zeal for your house, the word there for zeal, it'll come up on the screen, it looks like that. It means to boil, to be hot, to burn in spirit. It's ardent passion. Which reminded me of a quote from a church father. His name's John Wesley. He actually started the United Methodist Church, which was a movement that swept across nations, uh, influenced hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people, ultimately. And he was asked one time, why do all these people come and listen to you talk, basically? What's the, what's the secret? Why, what is it? And here was his response. He says, I set myself on fire, and people come to watch me burn. Isn't that great? And that to me relates to the story we just looked at. I have to believe that in the temple that day, yes, there were some people that got irritated because their coins got knocked to the ground or they lost their sheep. But Passion is powerful. And I have to believe that there were some people in there also going, what is going on? Who is that guy? And I think I want to follow him. Does that make sense? We follow, we appreciate commitment and passion. So the last fill in the blank is this. Does it look like we are passionate about God? And of course, the application is it, it, it should. And I don't know that that's something that you can just muster up, but I think we can set our faces toward, Lord, you're worth it. And we can spend time with him so that we are deeply in love with him. By the way, if you didn't consider like the encounter night tonight, sometimes if we just gather, by the way, probably most of us right now, get this. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm not done yet. I'm close. I'm really getting close. You're almost done. But probably most of us right now in the room, our zeal, our spiritual passion, just because, because you've been here, for the last hour, went from wherever you were, even if you were in a pretty good place, typically, you know what happens? We just get a little hotter. You know, we're just a little more serious. We're a little, we have a little more passion, a little more love for God. That happens when we gather. It happens when we do other things too, like read our Bible, when we pray, when we consider the cross. You know what I mean? So basically, we can help grow that we can put ourselves in a place where that fire keeps burning hot. My hope is that that's what we'll do. It'll, it'll help us, and it'll make an impact on the world. Deal? Why don't you stand? Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless, and see you next time.